Preface and Introduction to the Acarnians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. The Acarnians by Aristophanes. Translated by Charles James Bilson, 1858 to 1932 translator's preface and introduction preface in the following translation i have attempted to present the acarnians to english readers in the spirit of a lively acting play with this aim in view i have rendered the dialogue throughout in the free rhyming metre of modern burlesque which does not even shrink upon occasion from a bad rhyme it has been the usual practice of translators to represent the greek iambic metre in english by blank verse and there is certainly no finer mode of expressing the ordered march of the tragic rhythm but for the less restrained comic iambic the loose unrhymed verse generally adopted seems but a poor substitute giving no adequate compensation for the lost point and emphasis of the original this point and emphasis i have endeavoured with scant success to preserve english readers must not of course take this version to be even in attempt aristophanic the soul of aristophanes dwelleth not in a dry place and his audacious bacchic license is out of date in the cool shades of modern protestantism some passages in this play have been thus necessarily omitted and others for example the phallic hymn have been as the only alternative to their omission hopelessly modernized the notes are purely explanatory and illustrative and do not touch upon any points of scholarship introduction the oldest comedy that has come down to modern times is that which aristophanes produced at athens in the spring of the year b c four twenty five it has moreover the less fictitious interest of being one of the best plays that were ever written the acarnians was a bold but good-natured attack upon the athenian jingoes who combined a bitter hatred of sparta with an intense desire for the aggrandizement of imperial athens the critical instinct of great satirists usually inclines them to side with the minority but aristophanes had strong and solid reasons for his view of the situation which might have convinced the most practical statesman the peloponnesian war had lasted five years and the athenians reduced by the ravages of their enemies and still more by the terrible visitation of the plague had shown an elasticity under sufferings almost unparalleled in history their pride so far from falling with their fortunes rose higher at every reverse and shrank from making overtures of peace to the exulting spartan this sanguine buoyancy of disposition prepared those who knew athens best for the astounding levity which afterwards marked her conduct but while there were many who saw no hope for their fellow-countrymen if they strayed too far from the old and well-tried paths and who distrusted their airy visions and perpetual childish longing for some new thing yet these were for the most part like poor relenting nicaeus unable to stem the tide of popular enthusiasm and either turned it to their personal advantage or were swept away to their destruction aristophanes however under the mask of comedy 
did not hesitate to oppose with all his powers of ridicule and invective the fatal delusion of the people it is in this play that he first speaks out boldly in favour of peace and the apologetic though firm tone which he assumes shows the risk which he ran his apprehensions were not realised for the volatile athenians always ready to enjoy a joke at their own expense only laughed good-humouredly and gave him the first prize they were content to kiss the rod without profiting by its correction the acharnians are well chosen to represent the most bitter zealots of the war their fertile and populous suburb which lay about eight miles from athens was desolated year after year by the invasions of sparta and their military character is evidenced by the fact that at the commencement of the war they furnished a tenth of the whole regular infantry the scene of the play is laid on the pnyx the meeting-place of the ecclesia or public assembly of the citizens the pnyx lay to the west of the areopagus on a slope connected with mount lycabetus a semicircular space with an area of about twelve thousand square yards was marked out upon the side of the hill and levelled by means of large stones built up to a sufficient height from the lower ground here stood the bima a platform cut out of the solid rock from which the attic orators spoke in full view of the parthenon and all the eloquent monuments of athenian greatness the public assemblies which met upon the pnyx were summoned and presided over by the members of the senate of five hundred who were called prytanes and one of whose number was appointed chairman every day in the week at the opening of the play dikaiopolis whose name means good citizen the hero of the piece who represents throughout the views of aristophanes is discovered sitting in the pnyx and waiting for the citizens to assemble he is very much disgusted with his lot and casting up his accounts shows that the pleasures and pains are very unfairly balanced item to seeing cleon the notorious demagogue prosecuted one pure poetic pleasure item to hearing theognis instead of aeschylus in the theatre one tragical disappointment etc the times are altogether out of joint and he resolves to set them right by a policy of obstruction just as he arrives at this determination the light-hearted crowd of athenian citizens come pouring in like troutlets in a stream to deliberate upon affairs of state the herald makes proclamation who wishes to harangue whereupon an insignificant little personage gets on his legs and declares that he has a special mission from the gods to make a peace upon which he is promptly removed by the police the assembly then listens to the traveller's tales of some ambassadors who excite the wrath of dikaiopolis and he sends amphitheus to sparta to make a private peace for himself and his family his messenger soon returns running violently for he is being pursued and stoned by some old acarnian fire-eaters who will have nothing to do with pieces however he has brought dikaiopolis three samples of truces from which that worthy selects one for thirty years and retires to his house to celebrate the feast of bacchus after he has marched in solemn procession round the stage with his daughter and maid-servant he is set upon by the chorus of old acharnians with whom he has to endeavour to justify himself for concluding the peace he contends that the spartans are not so black as they are painted 
and when this argument only enrages his hearers the more has resource to a stratagem and so obtains leave to make them a speech upon the subject with his head upon a chopping-block but first he deems it prudent to borrow an appropriate tragedy costume from euripides the new-fangled poet of common life having obtained this he comes out and speaks for his life with such effect that he wins over to his cause one half of the chorus the other half however still clamour for war and call in lamachus the great general when that hero appears upon the scene he immediately becomes a butt for the ridicule of dicaeopolis who abuses him soundly first for his military appearance and spirit and then as representative of those young ambassadors who through favouritism were continually being sent off to thrace and sicily and all kinds of ridiculous places doing no work but drawing a high salary tried veterans like these old acarnians he complains never gets these sinecures upon hearing this lamachus expresses his resolution of waging war with sparta to the death and dicaeopolis proclaims that he is about to open a market for the use of the lacedaemonians and their allies and the megarians and boeotians in fact for the use of all the world except lamachus here follows the parabasis in which the poet through the mouth of the chorus answers the charge of libelling the state which had been brought against him after an invocation to the muse in lyric verse the chorus goes on to complain of the ingratitude shown by the state to her old servants and of the scandalous way in which they are browbeaten in the law courts by ready-tongued and profligate young barristers meantime the news of dicaeopolis's open market has travelled far and the first person to arrive is a megarian accompanied by two little daughters the athenian market-place from which they were excluded by a special decree is a delightful spot to men of his country however he is so poor that he has nothing to sell or exchange until the expedient suggests itself to him of selling his two daughters in sacks as little pigs he thus disposes of them to dicaeopolis for some salt and garlic and thanks to dicaeopolis's cat-o'-nine-tails escapes from an intrusive informer the chorus now sings some verses congratulating dicaeopolis upon the success of his piece the next person who comes to market is a boeotian who arrives accompanied by a boy laden with all kinds of game and surrounded by a crowd of pipers playing national airs when he has driven out these nuisances dicaeopolis asks the boeotian what he has brought to market and the newcomer in striking contrast with the starved megarian enumerates beasts birds and dainties of every description dicaeopolis agrees to purchase the whole pack in exchange for that athenian specialty a sycophant or informer one of those well-abused officials whose duty it was to inform against the importation of contraband goods at this moment nicarchus enters and proceeds to denounce the boeotian for bringing into the city a wick which as he gravely explains might be used for burning down the dockyard however he is promptly seized bound hand and foot packed up in straw like so much crockery and carried off under the boeotian's arm the chorus chant a panegyric upon dicaeopolis and express their hatred of war in an ode to peace or reconciliation and now the herald comes forth to announce the feast of pitchers in which a skin of wine is given to the most successful tippler 
dikaiopolis is very busy preparing for the banquet and refuses everybody a share of his peace except a bride who wants to keep her newly married husband from the war lamachus is ordered out to keep the passes in the snow and dikaiopolis receives an invitation to dinner and the preparations of the two for feasting and fighting are absurdly contrasted when lamachus is departed to keep guard and dikaiopolis to make merry the chorus take occasion to abuse antimachus who had offended their master and express a wish that two humorous disasters will befall him and now we have reached the closing scene the warrior and the peacemaker return the former wounded and miserable the latter amorous drunk and happy for has he not been triumphant over all rivals and won the drinker's prize so the play ends lamachus limping off to the doctors while dikaiopolis is borne away on the shoulders of his companions in joyful procession end of preface and introduction recording by expatriate in bangor maine